Good morning, everybody. I um, hope you are doing well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom. Um, I am one of the ordinands here. That means trainee vicar. Um, and as of today, I am actually also the father of Buzz Lightyear. I don't know if you saw Poema. She's been running around, um, and she's absolutely loving that. Um, and so as a church, we've been going through uh, this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to continue today. Last week, Andy spoke to us on the Beatitudes. And for this week, I'm kind of covering the Beatitudes part to the sequel, um, because we're going to be dealing with this idea that when we embody the Beatitudes, when we embody this way that Jesus has for us to live, we become like salt and light. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew 5, 13 to 16, or it's also on the screen, so maybe that's not necessary at all. Um, but yeah, so Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says this. I'm going to be reading from the NRSV. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can, it be, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Just pray with me, if you will. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I pray uh, that right now um, you would... Um, open our hearts to receive your word. You would um, open my mouth to speak and proclaim um, what it means to be salt and light. And yeah, I pray that you would be in our midst right now. Amen. Uh, so by way of introduction again, uh, I'm Tom. I'm married to Rosa. Rosa is from the United States, from New Mexico. We met in Japan. I know that's a, like that's a lot of that's complex. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and you know, one of the things that me and Rosa absolutely love to do is we love to host people and we love to make food. We love making all kinds of food. We like making Japanese food. We like making Indian food. Um, and because she's from the states. Um, and she's Hispanic. She loves um, to just indulge people in the food from, from where, where she's from in New Mexico. So she likes making burritos, she likes making tacos, all sorts of amazing things. And when we started dating, this was quite new for me, that you, know, you can actually just make all of this stuff from scratch. Um, and so there's this one time that we were hosting people, um, and Rosa unfortunately made the fatal mistake where she asked me to make the tortillas. Um, she has since uh, learned from this. She's become much wiser in our marriage. And so she lays out this recipe in front of me. And it says, you know, four cups of flour, uh, two tablespoons of olive oil, a half a teaspoon of salt. <laughs> you already know where I'm going with this, I'm guessing. And you would be correct. Um, and, you know, um, I just start, I start throwing all these ingredients together in, in, in a bowl. Um, and, you know, I think she must have known this is his first time. I'm just going to make sure everything's okay. And she just comes over and says, did you add the flour? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So four cups? Yep, absolutely. Um, did you add the oil? Yep. Two tablespoons? Yep. Did you add the salt? Yep. Um, 
half a teaspoon? Tea what now? So there's a slight chance that maybe, possibly, I, I misread the abbreviation of teaspoon and I put like half a tablespoon. Um, and rather than poisoning uh, our friends that we were hosting, uh, what we ended up having to do is we had to quadruple the recipe to make sure that it would like align with how much salt we were, we, we were having. Um, which, you know, um, actually more tortillas is a good thing, right? More tortillas, is, more tortillas is a really good thing, it's wonderful. But I did learn a very valuable lesson of the potency of salt. And um, as we turn to the passage, I guess you probably don't need me to tell you how powerful salt is. And Jesus uses this as an image to describe us in our walk with him. Um, as sodium chloride, as table salt, the stuff that we have in our kitchen. And he uses it with intention um, to talk about the essence of being a Christian in society. And it's a compelling metaphor, um, because when you think about it, salt has two uses. Firstly, it's a flavor enhancer. Um, it adds taste taste to the food that we, that we make. Unsalted food might taste fine, but when you add a little pinch of salt, it somehow just brings out more of the flavor. Um, the other thing is that it's, it acts as a food preservative. And I think um, it, it, in, a, in a lot of ways, this would be more um, pronounced in the ancient Middle East, where it was hot. They didn't have uh, fridges back then. So salt was really um, a useful um, way of preserving food from keeping it from spoiling. It would uh, preserve and uh, increase the shelf life because bacteria can't live on salt, and salt would have been vital for this reason for people in Jesus' day. So that's two things then, isn't it? Flavor and preserving qualities that are in salt. And Jesus is saying that as Christians, when we embody his way to live, we... Um, carry kingdom culture, and this adds flavor to life, and this preserves society. Uh, the next part of the verse is really interesting. It says, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. At face value, I suppose this sounds really provocative. I, I maybe don't want to be taken away from Jesus. I don't want to be thrown away. And I'm not going to take away the bite of these words. The phrase in Greek is also quite, quite amusing for me. Um, it, it's the word maranthe, which is where we get the word moron from. So quite literally, the Greek is saying, if salt became stupid, which is... It's strange. What it means is like a moron, you know, somebody who's empty-headed. If salt became empty, if salt um, became void, if, if, it's, if it became saltless, it would be worthless. Um, and I think if we're reading this in conjunction with the other verses, we're sort of supposed to assume that this probably doesn't usually happen. I don't know if you've, if you've used salt and you've ever been worried maybe, oh, what if it becomes sugar? Well, the molecular consistency just breaks down. Um, and, and, and so, you know, because he says, you don't build a city on a hill to hide it. You don't dim a light if you want a room to be brighter. So in the same way, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Salt is salt. Um, so, so, so Jesus is saying he wants us to live a life where we flourish. 
which helps preserve our lives and preserves um, the lives of others too. And there's something attractive about that, uh, that an enriched life enriches others. Um, and I think this is kind of focused around discipleship. Um, you are the salt of the earth. Salt doesn't change. It doesn't strive to be salt. Uh, but by its nature, it exudes saltiness. And in the same way, we're Christians. We're Christians. We're supposed to live as Jesus lives in the world. We're supposed to be Jesus to the world. Um, and, you know, as we walk in our discipleship, it's a good idea that we, we, we maintain our relationship with God, that we read the Bible, we come to church, we pray. All those things are very necessary and good. Um, but these are desires that are derived from the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us right now, actually, um, who takes up residence in us and exudes kingdom flavor from us. And it's not letting us off the hook. It's not to say, oh, we're left, we're fine, we don't need to do these things. No, it's because he lives in us that we have this desire, oh, I want to read the Bible, or like, I want to go to church, which is odd, actually, that you guys are here this morning. Most people in the UK don't do that. So in the same way, the Christian's role is to add flavor to life and preserve culture to flourish. And for the Christian to lose this is a contradiction of terms because we are called to be Jesus. We, that is what we are. That we carry his flavor wherever we go. We embody this kingdom truth. Uh, Jesus shifts the metaphor to light. Um, but with the same basic formula, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, Jesus himself has spoken of being uh, the light of the world. Therefore, any light that we are is actually derived from him because of him. Yet it functions the same way. Light is this beautiful thing that reveals. Um, to shed light on something means that you might reveal truth. And it's difficult to hide light in the same way that salt becomes un unsalty. Um, he uses this little metaphor. You can't build, um, a, you, you can't hide a city built on top of a hill. And I don't know if you've seen outside that there's, you know, diggers and there's builders um, on, on, on the airfield, there's machinery. I'd say that's a pretty blatant sign that they're building something. It's not an inconspicuous image. In the same way, you can't hide a life which the foundation is built on Jesus. You can't hide that. Um, a life that flows from him is going to speak and it's going to beckon questions. A life that is ideally attractive. Jesus goes on to talk about trying to hide lights. You don't turn a light on because you want a room to be dark. It's, it's hard to conceal. Jesus tells us, let your light shine for others to see. Now, um, this is partially um, in, in an evangelistic sense that we shine our light to bring others to Jesus, to reveal uh, Jesus to them in, in our lives and in our conversations. By evangelistic, I don't mean um, what Mormons and JWs do, going door to door, like standing outside of co-op with, with leaflets and pamphlets. Um, and nor do I mean just by the good things that we do. Like, actually, it's the conversations that we have about faith with others. 
um, which sort of happens naturally, though. Like, we don't have to contrive um, anything. We don't go into a bakery and say, do you know about the bread of life? No, like, these are just conversations that will happen because people will just see something in you. Um, and I had this surreal experience um, when I was living in Japan. Um, it was, I think it was one of my days off. I was, like, in a park. And I, was, I just had a notepad and I was doodling. I was doing some drawing. Um, and this student um, from one of the local universities sees me, and um, I think he sees foreigner, free English lesson, great. And he comes over to me, and he starts striking up a conversation. And he sees that I'm drawing a picture, and he says, what are you drawing? And, you know, I was just doodling, and then he said, oh, can you draw a picture of, like, a unicorn or something? And I start drawing that, and he's like, oh, that's pretty good. He brings his friend over. They start getting me to draw a picture um, you know, and it progressively becomes more and more surreal, the things that they're asking me to draw. Um, and I look up, and there's about 15 students now who are just <laughs> gathered um, and, and looking at what I'm doing, and they're, they're just having fun, and they're having these conversations with me. And the student's kind of looking at me like I'm just this unicorn. And he just goes, what do you do? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, you did ask the question, so I'm sorry for the answer. Um, I'm, a, I'm a missionary. I, I, I um, felt called here to serve uh, Japan, to, to, to let the Japanese people know about Jesus. I came because of the earthquake and tsunami. I teach English and I do youth work. And he's like, you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah. It's like, he clarifies, you're not Mormon, you're not Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, no, just, just, a, normal, just a normal Christian. Um, and he, he just can't get his head around it. I've completely subverted his view of what a Jesus follower looks like. Despite my own tendency to not kind of do that very well, um, I've revealed Jesus to him. And there's something attractive about being uh, a disciple. And I think we can all pr probably point to stories like this when somebody might have asked us, like, what, what is it about you? Um, and that's the act of shining the light of Jesus and revealing that to other people. And I think it's also a little, a little bit more than that. It says that in, in those verses, it speaks about they will give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, I assume a lot of people who give glory to, you, to their Father in heaven tends to be Christians. Um, so I think there's something about community um, with these verses as well. Um, that as a church, we walk together as salt and light. Um, salt and light is not just an individual activity, but it's for our own mutual encouragement. Jesus is speaking about light shining in terms of good works, which is the overflow of living an embodied kingdom life. It's not about striving uh, to work to please God, but it's this holistic way to live that just happens naturally. I love how John Mark Comer puts it. Our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. I like that. And I want to just hammer home this point. It, it, it's not that we are striving to make it evident. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but sometimes... Life is hard. Life can be difficult. Jesus, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Um, so if we, if we wake up feeling tired, if we wake up feeling fatigued, um, if we haven't had enough coffee, 
If we're going through difficulties, if we are bereaved, if we are uh, risen by grief and, and depression, um, regardless of, um, of these experiences, these lived experiences, which God cares about, he can still use us. His light can still shine through. And sometimes it might be even more. It might be even more because of these things that we're going through. When things aren't going well, God's light shines through no matter what the season. And Jesus says, our good works give glory to the Father. Um, that our aim isn't to impress other people, but it's to bring glory to our Heavenly Father, which I think assumes um, an intimacy with God, uh, viewing God as Father, that our relationship is the foundation for being salt and light. And of course, light, the light that we share um, comes from Jesus himself. He is the light. And in choosing the metaphor light, he's alluding to um, an Old Testament context, the wider narrative, where God says Israel would be um, a light to the nations. And this light um, was promised to guide um, people to God. And this is ultimately unleashed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, every society in the world wants to flourish. But Jesus gives a formula for human flourishing by being a new community that is living in the light of the resurrection. Tim Keller um, speaks about the resurrection in, in, in these terms. The resurrection is not a stupendous magic trick, but an invasion. And I, th I think what he's alluding to there is that we kind of take part in that. And, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, like your kingdom come, your will be done, um, we are included in that because we are salt and light. We are his hands and feet in the world. And as we come into land, I think as an appropriate response, we want to think and draw our attention, to fix our attention on Jesus, because he is the light of the world, who gives light to, to all. Um, he is the one who, who, who seasons us with, with this kingdom flavor, and we want to experience that more, um, because he, he gives us his spirit. So we're going to come to a time of communion, um, and Andy's going to lead us in that. Um, so when we do that, I would just love it, if we think about what he's done. I know that we're supposed to do that in communion anyway, but sometimes I go into automatic mode, you know, um, and just, just take the bread and the wine. But let's, let's really think about him. So Andy's going to come now. Um, and Let's boldly receive and remember what Jesus did. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you call us to be salt and light. I thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. And I pray that right now we would remember you as the giver of this light and the giver of the kingdom. Yeah, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come now and meet with every one of us with where we're at. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.